follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. I'm Shad here with Matt and Brad. Guys, how are you doing today? Uh, doing good, Shad. I think it's Monday for some reason. I think it's because it was Labor Day, so uh, I'm uh, yes, largely I confused. Felt, I felt like it was Monday all day long. Yeah. I, I kept like making plans with my evening. I'm like, no, you can't do that. You're podcasting tonight. Like, No, you can't go out in the backyard and have a fire tonight because you're podcasting. Yeah. I struggled with that exact thing, uh, oddly enough. It's like, you know, I go ahead and get the fire pit going. And wait. No, no, no. Episode tonight. Episode tonight. Exact. I know. I got hosed yesterday. Like, I was all prepped and ready for a fire last night, and then we got, like, tornado warnings and storms and Good all Lord. sorts of fun. I got one Sunday. I got a fire on Sunday, so at least there's that. Ah, uh, gosh. I haven't done one in quite a while. It's tough until it's... It's tough until it starts getting dark a little earlier and the heat goes down. Yeah, yeah. It's it's frankly it's just been too hot to do it. So, all right, Matt. With uh, like with the climate change, I guess it's it's getting it's staying hotter longer. But uh, eventually, we we are going to hit the best season, which is fall. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm ready for all things fall. Yes, I'm so looking forward to it. There's pumpkin beer already in the grocery stores. Um, <laughs> although the sad thing is, like, I know we've done like our, our Halloween candy uh, yeah. episodes, and yeah. you know, it's not going to be that long until it's, it's Halloween season. I think because of COVID, like, there is barely any Halloween candy in the stores. Yeah. Have you noticed that? Is it how's that with your guys' area? Like, and here I, in DC, it's like it's you have I, to really hunt for it, and it's like I one section. Section. I think it'll show up here right after Labor Day. I bet the next time I go in, there will be candy. I know <laughs> I know that the first sighting of Booberry has happened here already. Uh, um, I did see that. I was in a, I was in Target this morning, and I did see some Booberry and Frankenberry. So that exists out there. Booberry is the superiorest of them, <laughs> and then Count Chocula is second, and Frankenberry is a um, distant third, in my opinion. Which mm, is see? the one with the wolf, man? That's Fruit Brute. And then he's also uh, you, the, I, essentially I don't think fruity, I've, yummy, mummy too. I don't think I've ever had those two. Yeah, okay. I know I've had yummy mummy because that was, I was a kid when that one came out, and I remember the commercials. I know they did. Um, they brought fruit brute and the mummy back a couple years ago. They did. But I think they, they like combined of, them to the same like thing. It was kind of a nostalgia run thing. Yeah, so I'm, I'm guessing they'll do that again soon, but I don't know. Um, I usually just get some booberry and maybe occasionally a Count Chocula, but like the, the Frankenberry doesn't do much for me. 
in in our house we get uh, one Count Chocula and one Booberry, and it's just it more than anything else it's a snack on some evenings is is what we use it for. But uh, we 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 do have Halloween candy out in Central Kentucky. I was in Meyer yesterday, and we had Halloween candy out. So. I'm the hope lives, sh- right? Struggling with cereal right now because of my health issues. Um, I might be allergic to almond milk, so I'm trying oat milk, and um, it's a little weird. Uh, I can believe it. It's not like because because you do like soy milk or almond milk, it has a similar consistency to like real milk, even if the flavor is different. But oat milk. The flavor is not bad, but it's more watery, so it kind of like messes with your head. Do you usually I... use like almond milk instead of regular milk? Right, unless it's for cooking, then we'll use real milk. Cause um, really, like I don't, I don't eat cereal that much, but it's always it's it has to be like regular milk. Well, yeah. see, so um, I had my gallbladder out, whoa, seven years ago now. We'll say I think it was mm-hmm. six, and um, about like the. The five or six year lead up to that, I thought I was lactose intolerant, so we switched to soy milk. But soy milk can be kind of hard to digest, so we kind of gravitated toward almond milk because it's easier on the mm-hmm. stomach. But once my gallbladder was out, I wasn't lactose intolerant anymore. But milk kind of—it's it, a little weird if you get away from it. Like so, I kind of just—we've kind of just stuck with almond milk, and especially if you get like the vanilla flavoring. It um it accentuates cereal better than regular milk does. So um yeah, so we don't really keep we only have milk in this house if we're using it for a specific recipe for cooking. Otherwise we just have a thing of almond milk or now it's gonna be oat milk. Well. Until I get allergic to oats and then I have to just <laughs> figure something else out. Jesus, I hope not. I okay. you know, like I, I don't know, it it it's a really life-changing experience when you wake up and your face is swollen up and someone tells you, well, you're probably allergic to these things because of the way they look on a molecular level to something you're probably super allergic to, and then you have to avoid those things at all costs. And then after doing that for a couple of weeks, like you realize like you've been having, um, you've been having some long-term issues that suddenly disappeared because you weren't encountering those foods anymore. And you're like, oh... Yeah, like this is probably just something I've had for a while and it got worse. This has been everything that you didn't know you wanted to know about. <laughs> this has been my this has been my life for like the last five weeks and it's not been fun. Ugh. So I'm I'm lucky. Well, like I'm not I'm not really like allergic to foods. Not at least like it would give me that sort of reaction. I'm only yeah, I, wasn't uh, until, I, guess, I wasn't until about a a week about a month ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay wow yeah yeah i my the worst thing is just i'll eat something and my my quote-unquote allergy to it will be like you know it just makes me poo or something oh, yeah. like i'll like i like sweet potatoes um but i don't really eat them because if i'll if i have sweet potatoes it's like later on that evening it'll be like as as a friend of the show christy Petrillo would say uh you get like the bubble guts all of a sudden oh, it's yeah. like <laughs> It's like, oh boy, that was a mistake. Oh no. I mean, I mean, the worst thing I have is like, if we're gonna have spaghetti or something, I know just before I even start eating, just to take the tums now. Mm. 
just I, I know the heartburn's coming, but that's that's like the worst thing I had before this. Well, the 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 gallbladder going out, like that that was a whole host of things, but that all went away once I had it taken out. I have a friend who had his gallbladder out, and you do have uh, I think restriction. You have certain restrictions that you now have to. No, I got nothing. Oh, you don't have any restrictions? Nope. Oh, you're Wait. lucky then, because he. Uh, it's well i mean i don't think he like really abides by it but allegedly like there's certain it's like they tell you not to eat maybe not specifically like don't eat you cannot eat this food ever again but it's more like oh uh, you, you should probably eat less like cheese because of the fats and that sort of thing it's like, i think everyone everyone seems to have a different <laughs> um reaction to it i really don't have any side effects to it um you kind of there it, it takes about it. It takes about six months to a year for your body to readjust. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was that, and I had um, I would I like where they cut. Me, they don't cut you that much, but like it took me like I think a year or so for my side where they cut me to stop like for those muscles to not randomly cramp on me, which was mm. a pain in the butt. Yeah, anytime you anytime you have any sort of like abdominal uh, surgery and they have to go into like muscle, yeah, it, it does like it takes a little bit. Like as my wife. Um, the birth of our daughter like my wife had a c-section and it, it takes a while for just like the the abdominal muscles to heal you properly know, i didn't have an issue with that but they cut me because they do one like above your belly button but they like cut me down i think with the grain of my muscles and i never had any real issues because i think of the way they cut me like my wife had hers out and they did <clears> hers across and she had a lot of issues but i think because they did mine down it didn't do it didn't cause me as much problem i just would like to say for a moment that i am a huge fan of even though i've just heard it a huge fan of the phrase bubble guts and i will probably start using it yeah never heard that that before. A, no that is a either. terrifically amusing phrase i like it's, that it's uh, and sadly it's very accurate because i mean that it is what yeah. happens like all of a sudden you're just <laughs> like you just yeah you feel the gurgling the the bubbling and the gurgling yields. I just get like I just get like the the acid reflux and heartburn more than anything. Mm. Now my if 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 I have something that doesn't agree with me, my stomach begins being active and vocal, and I go, oh well, guess I'm not going much of anywhere. But <laughs> after that <laughs> after that smooth opening, we want to say. Thank you all for being with us for this episode. Uh, we it is today is nine eight twenty twenty the day after Labor Day. Happy Star Trek Day, everybody! And we want to get our shout outs out there. The first one will be to our affiliate Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand Collar and Elbow Brand dot com. Use the promo code for Corners Podcast. That's number four, capital C and Corners, capital P and Podcast. Save 10% off your order. Then our other shout-out goes over to Matt. Yeah, that would be to the man himself, Orlando Cologne. Um, to my knowledge, I don't think Orlando ever got an intercontinental title match, but I'm sure that if he did and he won the belt, which I'm sure he would have, he would have been the greatest intercontinental champion of all time. Of all time. All time. All time. So with and that Matt, said. That does um, sound like the segue. It is a segue. <laughs> so we're doing... Can I, um, can I give a shout-out after we introduce the episode? Yes. Go ahead. So 
that we're doing our third tournament. I think our first one was the Haas Fight Tournament, and then we did Best Tag Teams. We're doing a little more of a constrained topic tonight. We're doing um, Best Pre-Attitude Era Intercontinental Champions. So, um, to be academic about this, because as Matt said last week, we are professional broadcasters. <laughs> Um, as you can tell by our amazing opening here, but, um, so I looked it up just to see what they consider the attitude era and it's November of 1997 onward. And I think that, I think for the sake of the intercontinental championship, that's, um, that's very appropriate because I would say the rocks run in 1998 is the last time the intercontinental title really felt like it meant anything. Because then you get into, like, the Vince Russo stuff in 99 where you get, like, just a string of, I would say, unworthy champions. Yeah. Uh, a bunch of hot shots and pass arounds. And... Like, the Godfather got it and Goldust <laughs> when he wasn't doing anything and, like, Road Dog. It was, oh, God, the Road Dog thing. Okay, just to get this out there at the beginning, this always confused me. And I... I I'll I'll do my theory on my conspiracy theory in a second, but why in the world when you want to have singles pushes for both members of the New Age Outlaws, why is the hardcore title on Billy Gunn and the Intercontinental on the Road Dog? My conspiracy theory is Vince Russo's like, oh no, we're gonna throw him a curveball. They don't. They're not going to know what happened. It's like, well, yeah, it doesn't make a lick of damn sense. Well, it's because they are both feuding in the opposite directions too. Then these were not these were not fits, right? These were not good fits for these guys. No, because I I think at the time too, um, I think there was a reason. I think something happened at Royal Rumble, and Billy Gunn was supposed to get the title and didn't. But it yeah, was really... he was supposed to beat Shamrock, and Shamrock beat him. Yeah, uh, like, I remember it, that one. It was really perplexing because I feel like at the time, and as a fan, Billy Gunn felt like he could, he was about Intercontinental title worthy the way they had him at that point, and then he kind of got exposed a little after Mania when you started getting into like his match with the Rocket SummerSlam and stuff. Uh huh. And then he didn't feel worthy of it anymore, but. Um, it was really weird because Road Dog felt like a hardcore champion and Billy Gunn felt like an intercontinental champion to me right. at the time. Yeah, and it, to me, it it didn't make sense why you would have those belts on those respective guys. And it just, it bugged me. And I have to say, like, pre, post, post that, that Ken Shamrock run... I don't feel like um, I don't feel like there has been a signature title reign since that Rock one in 1998, and I would be hard pressed to tell you of one. Maybe like a Benoit one, but I don't think I don't think any of his like really would. Um, would there get was there. It, it. I would kind of, but less so. I would say the. Um, you know, Shamrock's run with it was it was kind of a. Uh, it was the last good one, I would say. Yeah, be, well, and and what his did was it wasn't so much about um, it wasn't so much about Shamrock holding the title 
as it was about exemplifying how strong the corporation was in the titles they had under their control. Because it was like, who is going to take it off of Ken Shamrock? Yeah, good luck. Who's going to take the tag titles off of the boss man and Ken Shamrock? Yeah, good luck. And but it it those felt kind of um, subsumed in the uh, the weight of the corporation as but opposed I feel to like, them standing I feel on their like, own. I feel like him having a tag title, an intercontinental title, did in hindsight at the time it felt different, but in hindsight. It did feel like that watered down being the IC champion. Yeah, I could see it working in con in uh, in concept, where it's like no, 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 no. If he's holding both of them, that reinforces just you know how um, you know uh, how awesome this guy is on his own. It's like okay, I get that in concept, but in execution, it just didn't work. Because if you're if you're intercontinental champion. That should be your primary concern, and if you're if you're screwing around the tag titles, then obviously the belt isn't that important. So it kind of waters it down. Like in the greater scope of things, the more you think about it, it it was it was a it was a I would call it a good idea, but it just it just didn't really pan out. Um, and I, f- I feel like it had taken some. I feel like it started losing some value in like '96 when you start getting into like the. The Mark Marrow and the Hunter Hearst Helmsley and the Ahmed Johnson and the Rocky Maivia runs. And then you have, like, Austin's run that wasn't really that great and him, like, chucking it in the water. It, it, it's really... It took some... It took a beating starting in about 96. It seemed to me, and I, I know I'm, I'm trying to agree with you a bunch here, and Matt, I'm sorry that I'm, I'm really rocking and rolling on this already, but... That's all right. It, it seemed to me that it was a case where they were trying to use the belt to make people, to, to elevate people instead of elevating people to the level the title was at. Exactly. Yeah. And so I feel like the Intercontinental title at its... Um, when, it, when it worked and it was at its height of popularity is... The Intercontinental title was the belt you won to prep for a world title run, or it was you reaching the absolute peak of what a mid-carder could achieve. Okay. And it, actually, I think, having, I think having other titles, like other singles titles, actually hurt it a lot, because in old WWE, I feel like... Like, the NWA always had more belts, and that doesn't bother me. But in WWE, I always like in the old stuff that there's three belts. And that makes the titles feel scarce and precious. So, like, earning a title shot is a big deal because there aren't a lot of chances to earn a belt. I see what you mean. Uh, For me, the... Um, the thing about the Intercontinental title in the era of lots and lots of titles, it at least for a while, it felt more special than the other titles did. Like, you know, the 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 European felt lesser than the Intercontinental. The 
the hardcore definitely felt lesser than the inter like the intercontinental was like the 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 king of the not world titles the problem is, and and the other thing is that they every time that they did a title unification thing everything rolled into the intercontinental title the intercontinental title didn't get rolled into anything else so it might it's probably well uh, it is probably the singles title in the company that has the longest uninterrupted lineage uh, in WWE. Probably because they've kind you know, of screwed with the world title at this point. Yeah, the world title, the WWE title, the universal title, the uh, the whatever in the hell title. And they've, you know. um... I think the way they work the tag titles is that the, the current tag titles don't even have the lineal tag titles that are the oldest currently do not even have the full lineage anymore. They like start with the Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit reign somehow. Uh, I, I really want to look at that because I'm curious how they screwed that up. I know they unified like with the... Um, they unified a bunch of titles into the tag titles with the Invasion Era and all that stuff. but Well, they unified them. They unified the SmackDown and the Raw ones around 2010. And then they yeah. had the unified tag titles. But then when they split up again, they, they re-split. Well, they, they introduced new ones for SmackDown. And those are the ones that um, Rhino and Heath Slater won. Yes, I remember then, that. I don't know what the unified ones go back to as a lineage now, but I don't think they have the original lineage. Okay. Uh, later, I'm going to go hunting for whatever it was that um, that split that lineage, because now I'm curious. It's a mess. Like the, the the split era really screwed with their title reigns, because I think I think um, I think you both can agree there was a point in time where you could name off like every WWE champion and every like intercontinental champion and probably had a good grasp of what the tag titles are but then when like all the splitting and unifying and everything happened it kind of went to hell uh yeah i quit caring yeah same here <laughs> like i couldn't tell you who the the intercontinental title holder was right now um unless i looked it up and i couldn't tell you who they beat for the belt or who that person beat i i can but it's only because I was. Go ahead, Matt. I, I can't just because I looked it up. Like I, I didn't know. Um, I could do it from memory. Can I guess? Can I guess I was... since you know who it is, Matt? Yeah. Is it is it AJ Styles? Uh, he he is the one who the current title holder apparently beat to get the title because the title. Um, I do remember that the title was on uh, Shinsuke Nakamura, and then he lost it to Braun. And then in a three-on-one handicap, uh, Braun lost it to Sami Zayn. But Sami Zayn has not been working uh, since like COVID started, so they vacated the title. Oh, that's right. And then they had a tournament, um, and AJ won that tournament. Like this is that that's I actually did know that. Yeah. Um, but the current title holder apparently like beat uh, AJ on a SmackDown. Mm-hmm. Literally, like. I guess in fairness to you, if you didn't know that, it's because it, it happened allegedly like two weeks ago. 
Yeah, three okay. weeks three weeks ago. But so I'm I actually was... more up to date than I thought because I knew yeah. I knew Sammy Zayn was in there somewhere, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, I knew AJ had it at some point. Yeah, it's currently Jeff Hardy. Ew, I think I knew that, and I think I immediately blotted it out because I can't believe Jeff Hardy's still working. <laughs> yeah, uh, if you look at just the lineage, just from like the last like two years. It's like, well, I mean, the the title ha- has been like so devalued, of course, but it, it even like is devalued in the era where where things are not valued at all. It's like the title changes hands like every like other month, and that's like at best. So it's like, what? Why would I care if if like no one really is going to hold it and give it any sort of prestige? I'm I- confused why that they would do things like have. You know, AJ was the champion on SmackDown for a like a year plus. Why are you having him in the Intercontinental scene? Cause they is, do that all the time now. Because I know. It used to be. It used to be like in the day we're going to talk about. Like if you were the world champion, you were like slumming it wrestling for the Intercontinental title, and that yeah. wasn't even an insult. Like that's just what it was thought of as. The only time, like. The only time something like that would happen was in, like, WCW if um, you lost the title and you couldn't get another title shot, so you would go after the U.S. title, so then you would be owed a title shot because you would be the number one contender again. Mm-hmm. And I think um, there was a Flair title run with the U.S. belt in, like, 95 or 96 or something that was based on that, wasn't it? Flair won the U.S. title on that Bash of the Beach where the NWO formed. And it was basically it was done as to not overshadow what the big turn was supposed to be. Um, You know, the idea is, you know, we're going to have this huge angle and Flair is super popular, but we don't want to overshadow him. But we also don't want Flair feeling like we don't care about him. So, you know, we'll have him win the this this is obviously, you know, backstage rationale, but. Um, you know, we'll have him win the U.S. title here, so people are happy, and then we'll have uh, it. We won't have any any interference or static with the angle later on. Okay, that makes sense. Because I can't think of I can't think of until the Attitude Era, barring Shawn Michaels winning the world title and then winning the European title. I can't think of anyone winning the world title and then stepping down to the intercontinental title. Well, Pedro Morales did it, but that was like a decade apart. And Mm -hmm. um, that was obviously different. But I can't think of many instances of guys taking a step backward towards it. It it is weird to think, oh, you know, you've been to the top of the mountain. You're you're the upper tier guy. And the intercontinental title is the the top of the next to top tier. Are you going to and this is just the way I think of it in my head, are you going to be admitting and stepping down to that lower tier? And it's like, well, why would you do that? You know, it's someone else would need the elevation, wouldn't they? But yeah, and I think, I think where it's really stark today, though, is you'll have a guy that was the world champion who then is like the intercontinental champion like three months after losing the world title. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I really don't like that at all. I'm not it, a fan either. Yeah, because it's clearly like, oh, it's a consolation prize. But it's like, it doesn't mean anything that way. 
it's kind of like having the sixth grader go beat up a second grader. It's like, well, yeah, of course, but why? What, what do you what do you actually prove when you do this? Yeah, I agree with that. So we have um we have sixteen entrants into tonight's tournament. So um we did I I kind of I kind of did have a cutoff point early on because I feel like. The TV availability just isn't there for some of this earlier stuff. So, like, um, Don Morocco, Ken Patera, Pedro Morales, um, and uh, Pat Patterson I did not put on here just because we've all seen matches of their title defenses and some of their promos. But I don't feel like – I don't feel like unless you were there, there's a good um, basis for what their reigns were like. I mean, Pedro had that title apparently for like ages. He did. I think he still has like the record for most days when I was looking at it. Well, he'll probably keep that record forever now because, I mean, maybe he's creeping up there. But I think he would have to have it for like another year's worth of time. Uh, Looking at the. Actually, no. Looking at it, he would just need it. He would just need it like another 23 days and he would. Okay. He would. Uh, oh my God! The number of reigns. Miz has eight reigns. Is the. Mm-hmm. I know. How many does Jericho at, have? Jericho has like six, and he hasn't even held it a year total. But look at like. Which, wow! Oh whoa! Jericho has nine. Oh, I yeah. actually think he might have. He might. I, look he at looks Dolph like Ziggler. he's the record holder. Look at Dolph Ziggler for how like devalued it is though, because he has like six reigns, and I think he's got like three hundred and twelve days or something like that. Three hundred and seventy-two. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, this is weird. So they're they're listing combined days and combined days recognized by the WWE. So uh, they're both still up there. Miz, yeah. Jericho, Dolph Ziggler still up there. Um, I went by what the combined days were because WWE changes what they recognize all the time. Like if you follow like what they recognize, like Antonio Noki's reign kind of comes and goes. <laughs> Okay. Whether that's recognized or not, uh, Matt, what was your shout out before we like get into our? Oh, uh, shout out to uh, to other friend of the show, uh, Damian Dames Gonzalez. Uh, as I've noted before, I've been on the hunt for these damn AEW toys forever since like August first, um, and I found I've only literally I've only found one of them in the stores. That's like the only store, and it was like I had to go way outside of DC to find it, and I found a Cody. Uh, I've not found any of the other ones in the stores. Uh, I guess the the Brandy figure they have not released yet. That's coming later, apparently. Um, but of the four remaining, which was uh, Omega, the Young Bucks, and Jericho, I've not found them. But a friend of the show, Dames, uh, he found me the Young Bucks and uh, Jericho. So uh, mm. I was able to collect those through him. So shout out to him. That's yeah, a good uh, Not shout out to Jazzwares who makes these toys. They have not made the toys <laughs> easily available. Yeah, screw them. Okay, so we have 16 participants. We're going to go a little different with this than the other ones. I'm actually going to list them off and then tell you how many reigns they had and the combined days between their reigns, just to give you an idea. So we're going to start off. So our first bracket is um, Randy Savage versus the British Bulldog. Tale of the tape here, Randy Savage had one reign for 414 days. 
and the British Bulldog had one reign for 59 days. And we actually just watched that match where he won it. <laughs> Our next bracket, Ricky Steamboat versus Greg Valentine. Ricky Steamboat had one reign for 65 days. And Greg Valentine had one reign for 285 days. Up next is the Ultimate Warrior vs. Diesel. Um, Warrior had two reigns for 434 days. Diesel had one reign for 138 days. And then um, we have Razor Ramon vs. Ravishing Rick Rude. Uh, Razor Ramon had four reigns for 437 days. And Rick Rude had one reign for 148 days. Um, then we have Mr. Perfect for his Tito Santana. Mr. Perfect had two reigns for 406 days. Tito Santana had two reigns for 443 days. Um, up next, uh, Shawn Michaels versus Jeff Jarrett. Shawn Michaels had three reigns for 406 days. And Jeff Jarrett had six reigns for 298 days. Six reigns? He Remember, Ooh. he had like a couple in the Attitude era. Oh, because he had some as double j and then he had some as um smack everybody with the guitar but wear oakley's face yeah and remember remember he had that um they did that one where edge like was challenging him at the pay-per-view and then won it the night before on a house show and then lost it back at the pay-per-view in like 99 i i I don't really remember that but i take your word for it because that doesn't surprise me at all yeah, and then um, we have Bret Hart versus Kerry Von Erich. Bret Hart had two reigns for 290 days. That one actually surprises me. I felt like he would have had, like, more time. Mm-hmm. Wait, say and, that bracket again? Uh, Bret Hart versus Kerry Von Erich. Mm. Um, Kerry Von Erich had one reign for 84 days. And then our final matchup, the Honky Tonk Man versus Rowdy Roddy Piper. Honky Tonk Man had one reign for 454 days, and Rowdy Roddy Piper had one reign for 77 days. Okay. So there's some notable guys not on here, but I kind of, I kind of started to base it on memorability and number of days versus not. So like, the Mountie didn't make it, and you know, like Dean Douglas didn't make it. And I left off a lot of those, like, ones I said, like, later on, like, that I felt weren't as good, like Ahmed Johnson and Hunter Hearst Helmsley. And, um... <laughs> you know, just, like, when they were... When the, the product is really bad and no one, like... No one probably remembers those reigns or cares much for them. I feel like these guys had at least one reign that you remember or remember something about. Mm-hmm. So let's go with our let's go with our let's go with matchup number one. Um, and I'll admit this one is a squash match, but it's Randy Savage versus British Bulldog. Um, so I'll just go first and start us off with this one. Like um, I think without a question, Randy Savage wins this for me. Like I would arguably say he is the greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time. Um, wow. I feel like the value was at it title was at its most valuable when he had it because he was such a star and i just i might be biased because i just watched like a lot of the tv where he was champion maybe five years ago so it's kind of freshish in my brain and we saw some of that in our whole um mega powers retrospective yeah Mm -hmm. we saw some of the early parts of that yeah 
Yeah. But I feel like when he had the belt is one of the times where like that one two punch of there was Hulk Hogan and then there was Randy Savage right under him with the IC belt. Like mm. I think that's one of the few times. I think Warrior kind of pulled that off mm-hmm. when he had the IC belt. But um, so I feel like I feel like for me this is a cakewalk. British Bulldog, we, he won it in a match that Bret Hart literally carried him like a broomstick, and then he <laughs> lost it a couple months later to Shawn Michaels. So I, I feel like he was not a super memorable champion. Mr. Hitman, I've, I've, I've lost the Intercontinental title. Mr. Hitman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's not I a question. Crack. <laughs> I can't defend the title. There's there's not a question on this. This this is interesting because I'm going to say there's not a question on this, even though these are two notable names. But there's just in terms of of their reigns as champion, you the they're not comparable, right? Like you know Savage's reign, like like you said, the framing that went around it, and um, the. Uh, all of the, um, you know, the great matches he had uh, regarding it, and then that barn burner with Steamboat at Mania Three, all I that feel like, stuff. To go with that, I feel like his reign was so great that like the next couple of champions actually lived off of the greatness of his reign, and it elevated like the people that came after him to a degree. Yeah, it had the momentum. Um, you know, it's it's. That that I mean that's a phrase that people use for a reason is that, you know momentum is a very real thing whenever you you start looking at stuff like this is the, the perception carries forward but I, and you know bulldog's a notable name but it's it's just not also bulldog wasn't paranoid to protect it like savage was like making uh, uh, Jake Roberts get bit by his own snake beforehand because lots of people might be after the. Macho Man's title, yeah. So, uh, on one I also hand, feel I, like, I also feel like Bulldog, in the grand scheme of things, in my brain, is more of a tag worker than a singles guy. Which is kind of funny, because I feel like if you actually look at the, the longevity of his career, he was arguably spent more time as a singles. Yeah, he did. Um, I just feel like his best work, though, was the British Bulldogs and then that tag team he had with Owen. I was going to say, it it seemed to me that um, the Bulldog would thrive in a setting where he was he was part of a group. He was not the marquee member, but his involvement was still notable and important. You know, he playing the role of the heavy in the group as opposed to, you know, being the, the front man. Yeah. Cause I feel like, I feel like he's a good worker and I think in some ways he's underrated, but I also feel like he has limitations and, um, his limitations are covered in a, um, in a group. Yeah. He, he's, he's an okay talker or he was got to rest him. He was an okay talker. He did cool stuff, you know, Seeing seeing the feats of strength that he would do, that's that's cool. But he didn't chain stuff together, you know, very smoothly. And so, having someone else to to bounce things off of uh, really helps with that. 
We're we're very long windedly all agreeing with each other. Yeah. <laughs> I, Bulldog to me, like it's kind of sad in a way. I mean, I, I agree. Like Savage was, this is almost like a squash match. Uh, Savage is just tremendous, and he really did elevate that title. And I mean, even like the way he lost it, it's like great. He lost it to an absolute classic match. Uh, to Ricky Steamboat, a match that some people now still think is arguably like the best Mania match, if not one of the best matches in all of WWE history. Uh, it's my wife's favorite match. Yeah, I mean, it's if someone is like, "That's my favorite match of all time." Like, do you? I mean, I, how do you argue against it? It's like that's that's up there. It's a you know, I, I get it. That makes sense. I, yeah, I've it's, tried it's, to I've tried to beat it in in exposure to things. With the caveat that I don't try and go over 20 minutes because I don't want to try her um, patience with it. The only thing she said in her opinion that's come close to it that I've shown her is the um, Eddie Ray Maskers title match. Mm. I don't know. Okay. It's it's one of the best matches of all time. It's it, one of the just an absolute perfect, it, to the extent that there are perfect matches, like that's, that's up there. Uh but to me, like especially after we just watched Bulldog win the title, it's it's and and how like kind of like mind screwed I was that I, I grew up thinking like oh the match that match was so great and then watching it as an adult like I see all the flaws in that match and I see how how much Brett carried it. The Bulldog reign is kind of like sad to me. It's really more like it's just a, lo- a missed opportunity. Like he should have been such a huge star. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't, and I mean, he kind of has himself to blame for that, just because of all his drug issues and. Yeah, because you kind of go back to like the WCW run in '98, mm-hmm. and thinking about it in hindsight, they kind of book him like a company that doesn't trust him to not yeah. screw it up. Like they they got their mileage out of him, but they did not want to. They didn't want to push it too far and back themselves into a corner. I totally yeah, get that. They were just happy to have him and Neidhart win like semi-important stuff on like Thunder and Nitro with the occasional pay-per-view match, but they weren't gonna give them like a title run or anything like that. Well, heck, I was even thinking of um, his early '90s uh, thing with uh, teamed with Sting against the Masters of the Powerbomb Sid and Vader. And stuff oh, like yeah, that. It's like, well, why, you know, you, you guys didn't didn't pull the trigger on him then, and then in hindsight, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The I believe he had good reason not to do that. Yeah, and I think he was at the height of his issues at the time too. Mm-hmm. Well, um, one of them because the issues that he had uh, coming off the. Um, his I don't blame app. him for the I don't blame him for the late life stuff because I think um, I tend to not judge people for that because if I had that severe of a of an injury with that kind of infection I think I would get pretty addicted to um, I could get pretty addicted to stuff too so I try not to judge the guys that like or people in general that come off of surgery and get addicted to painkillers because I mean that's a that's a dangerous. Oh, I don't blame him for it, but it was still a time when he was having really bad issues. Yeah. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna blame him for it, but I can't turn a blind eye to it either. So yeah, yeah. that's true. 
So we're so uh, I would say Randy squashes old uh, British Bulldog. Yo, yo. Yep. So up next, uh, this one's yeah. actually this is actually a tough one for me. But um, Ricky Steamboat versus Greg Valentine. Who wants to uh, take us on um, this one? Uh, I guess I can start off. Uh, this is tough because Steamboat really only had a very brief run, so it, it, you're kind of gauging it as are you how much heat you want to give to Steamboat? And Steamboat's beloved because he's such a great worker. I mean, he's he's a fantastic worker, and he had again we were just talking arguably one of one of the best wrestling matches in the entire history of the WWE, if not one of the best wrestling matches, certainly like North America of the last 40 years. Uh, so it's like, how much, how much goodwill do you give Ricky Steamboat versus someone like Greg Valentine who held the title much, much longer. And who I would uh, argue is a very, in today's like current wrestling culture, he's criminally underappreciated because people just haven't seen like his good stuff. Right. So that's, that's probably that's the that's the difficulty with this matchup because Valentine. I actually agree with you. I think he is an underrated worker, um, but this title reign kind of came in like the in around like the mid '80s, which yeah. uh, even for us who were I know for myself like I'm a little bit older, but uh, this was this was well before I even started. This was almost a, his title. His title reign was like roughly like a oh almost a decade before I even started watching wrestling mm -hmm. and certainly in like the videotapes that were at my, at my uh, local uh, video store, like they just did not have footage of this. So it's like nowadays you could maybe find some of it. So you can probably find some of it like on the network, but uh, it's, I have, it's a, a, I have a lot of the TV. Mm -hmm. The TV is available from this time. So I've actually seen, I've actually seen like a good portion of it and his, um, his, his feud with Tito is interesting because remember, remember like WrestleMania one, how Tito Santana won the match with a figure four leg lock. Yeah. Um, that was actually an angle going on because so Valentine actually, you know, beat him with figure four and obviously, but Tito Santana was like, well, you know what? He beat me with that move. So I'm going to learn that move and I'm going to master it myself because if I master it, then he can't beat me with it. So that's why he actually won that match with the figure four leg lock kind of why Rick Martell picked up the Boston Crab. Yeah. After uh, Stan Hansen beat him with it, I think. Yeah. So, it was an interesting angle. Um, but like I said, that's I don't think that stuff's on the network. You have to, like, get that from a tape trader or something because you can mm -hmm. usually start getting the, the pre-shows, um, the pre-wrestling challenge and superstar shows were championship wrestling, I think, like, all-star wrestling. Um... I might be wrong on the all-star wrestling, but you can usually start getting that stuff in about like 83. And I think, I think people started piecing together the early part of the eighties, but like you can usually get the TV that has Tito and um, Greg stuff on it. Hmm. I think doesn't Valentine still wrestle occasionally. Mm. He doesn't show up a lot. Cause I know I know he no showed something that um, Phil Singer Games did once, and they were making jokes about um, they were going to do a, a Greg Valentine versus Marty Jannetty match, and whoever showed up won. 
I think this was before Marty Jannetty like started admitting to like killing people and like lusting after his like thirteen year old like whatever yeah. niece or yeah. whatever. <laughs> yeah. Whoa, there's just so I, much weird. Marty is a complex human being. <laughs> I didn't I didn't I didn't go down the rabbit hole of much of his last confession, but I do know because it happened here, I think, um, that he's talking about in Columbus. And I know the Columbus PD decided to open an investigation based on to see if his claims had merit. Yeah. That's Yeah, that's I, uh, a weird place to be. But I think I think am I misremembering the story? Or was he saying like it was like some self defense situation? Like it wasn't like I don't remember. He claimed it was a self-defense situation. He kind of implied that it was, and I think he implied that when it happened to him, he was like a minor. Yeah. Yeah, I think he was like 13 or 14 or something. Yeah. What he said. Who knows? Marty says a lot of things. He was, uh, the first WrestleMania I went to, which was, uh, what, 32, whichever one it was in Dallas, um, he was at, we were all staying, uh, at the wrestle, at the wrestling hotel. Uh, the WrestleCon hotel where all the a lot of the workers were at, and he was around like he was constantly hanging out like at the bar, or whatever. I don't think I saw him sober <laughs> a single moment of that weekend. So he says a lot of things. Uh, he's a he's such a like he makes me sad because he is such a good worker, and if he could just keep his head out of his ass, he would have had such a much better career. Yeah, I remember seeing him pop up on Nitro to challenge Jericho for the TV title once, and I was so curious what was going to happen. And you know, he he set up for the rocker dropper, and then Jericho flipped him. You know, I don't understand it. There's a transition that so many guys do where it looks like they're setting for the rocker dropper, and then they do a backflip out of it. And oh, X-Pac. Sometimes... That was every X-Pac match had that. He never okay. hit that damn move. No, nobody hits that move. I don't understand what the point of that spot is. Like, you know, but you're, you what you're forgetting, you're forgetting is that random, like, 2003 or 2004 where he popped up in the WWE and had, like, that amazing match with Kurt Angle. I am forgetting that. I don't and they actually that gave him a, and they actually gave him a job and he messed it up like almost instantaneously. <laughs> it might have not been Kurt Angle. He might have done something with Sean, but he like popped up and had like this, like just it. The only thing that blew my mind more was, um, and it's topical to this, but remember when they did that Legends match versus Jericho and Ricky Steamboat came in and like. It wasn't amazing, but, like, he was still, like, crisp and fluid, and they actually had, like, a solid match with each other. Yeah, and they did a follow-up off of it. Yeah, and I think he even did, like, the... He even did, like, the rope spot or whatever, and, like, he was out of shape and everything, and they still, like... He was still, like, performing well. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I remember that, because it... That that had um, Steamboat and Piper and... Can't remember who the third was because I know there were three. Might have been Snooka. Snooka always pops in for that crap. Maybe, maybe I I just can't place it. But um, he he was still even doing the the clap arm drag stuff. And you remember, know? it was they did so well that they had a return match like mm-hmm. on the Raw after that because he did so well. 
was it the Raw after that or the next pay-per-view? It might have been the next pay-per-view, but I know I know they used him again because he did so well. Yeah, yeah. But the the I was just ranting about that spot because I would see that spot all the time from guys who never even used the rocker dropper. They would just do it to cut a backflip out of it, and then the spot was just meaningless because it didn't he didn't do anything. It didn't go anywhere. It was just every like every freaking X Pac match. I know, like right? Ninety eight to two thousand and one cruiserweights all over WCW were doing it and it's like why why are you doing that spot what does that actually add nothing it's you're just doing that spot in the middle of the match to do that spot and I don't even know why why go through the hassle of doing that when it it, it doesn't do anything it doesn't lead to anything it doesn't go anywhere Sorry, I'll put issues in tag team matches is like a setup for a double team where the guy does that just so to distract the guy so his partner can nail him with a clothesline or something after he flips him out of it. Okay, that I'm fine with. I don't have a problem with that. But if you're having a singles match and it's yeah, just like, no, it's... oh, I'm going to put my arm over the back of your head. Oh, I'm going to do a backflip. Okay, now I'm going to run to the ropes. It's like, well, why don't you just run to the ropes in the first place? It's like, um, it's like that, um, oh, who's. I, I, t- I would know this any other time, but those guys that have that move they go for that never works drive me nuts. <laughs> it's it's like what? <laughs> I know. Here's what it reminds me of. Because I couldn't watch Dragon Ball, but I watched uh, Dragon Ball Z abridged. Goku's setting up for the spirit bomb. He goes, man, nothing works. I better try that thing that always works. Spirit bomb. It didn't work. You know, <laughs> That's that's exactly what that makes me think of. It's like, what are what are you? Why? What? Maybe I'll hit it this time. Or it's like when um, it's like when Seth Rollins does like the Falcon Arrow superplex combo, and he always tries to pin them, and it's like you've never you've pinned like one guy in like five hundred matches with this combo. Why do you keep doing it? Yeah, uh, that's that's what I'm what I'm ranting about. That's I, I don't look if you're going to have a spot like that. It needs to succeed every now and then. Just it's so like the it, flare flop. It's like, why do you do this? You always get thrown <laughs> off the top rope. No, the flare actually got that to work. Um, there have been occasions here and there where it actually worked. I've seen him hit a crossbody off of it yeah. before. I'll give him that. But, like, sometimes you're just, like, especially after, like, 1992, you're just, like, you know you're going to get thrown off the top. Why are you doing this, dude? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, this has been Tangents with Shad. Let's get back to the... Or it's just, like, it's just like sometimes with him, it's like, man, why are you wearing a suit out there? You know some guy's just going to come out and tear it off your back, and you're going to be out there in your <laughs> underwear all pissed off and, like, those tall socks that just make you look ridiculous. I think that I think the answer to that is just is just Flair being like jokes on you. I'm into that. There, there's a funny there's a funny angle from like '85 TV where he um he's the world champion and Magnum TA is the U.S. champion and he um he gets this suit made up for him and he like gives it to him or he talks about it and give it to him and he's wrestling and Magnum TA comes out he's like oh this you know this is a nice suit. And he, like, goes in the ring, and he's like, he's like, really, this is for me? And then he just, like, tears it, 
And Flair, like, just gets this look of, you just tore up a custom suit that cost me $3,000, and then they start brawling. It was great. Okay, that's funny. But it's, anyway, anyway, sorry. I took this on um, a big tangent. Um, Just a quick answer on this. I'm going to give it to Valentine. Steamboat did not, the reason Steamboat lost the title is because he was like, hey, my son was just born. Could I please have some time to go spend with him? They're like, well, we just we just put the uh, we just put the Intercontinental title on you. No, and it's I am in this I, like I understand why he he pretty much walked at that point, but his his reign to me is very much tarnished by the fact that that's how it played out. It's really a nothing. <laughs> like I just saw the TV, like I said, five-ish years ago. And um, he has a Saturday night's main event where, like, Savage comes out and, like, wants him to keep the belt. But that's really the only thing they do with him. Like, he really does – he's really only on TV, like, a couple of times, and then he loses it to Honky Tonk Man. Yeah. And there's not really even an angle. Like, they just, like, kind of in passing. Like, it's going to be, like, a TV title defense because um, I think Honky Tonk Man had been doing, like, the band, the DDT stuff before that. So, like, they didn't even really set it up. So – I'm going to kind of go with Greg Valentine just because I've seen some of his reign, not all of it, obviously, but um, he felt like a very prototypical IC champion. I liked his stuff with Tito Santana. Um, I thought it was a good angle. I think he's an underrated promo. And um, he he made Brutus Beefcake look great in the Dream Team, uh, which is unrelated, (laughs) but is um is a uh, is a feat like greg valentine is truly underappreciated and it's gonna come up we're gonna do a dog collar match show so that we have an excuse to watch piper versus greg valentine which is a great like that's mid-atlantic a, like blood fest um the best way i can put it is i'm gonna borrow the phrase that's a banger of a match yeah, yeah. and i would argue i would argue um if you watched because I've watched a good deal of it, I would argue he was um, Bob Backlund's best challenger during his like forever long reign as WWE champion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I too would choose Greg Valentine. Um, as much as I love the steamer, uh, he just <laughs> had he had too short of a reign, in my opinion. So I, I just think good conscience, can't, I can't give it to him. If he had like a long, if he had like a year-long reign, then this would probably be a different conversation. But uh, that sadly is not the case. So yeah. So up next we have, um, I think this one's going to be another unanimous one, but we have the Ultimate Warrior versus Diesel. <laughs> I'm gonna just flat out say I. No offense to Kevin. No offense to Kevin Nash, but uh, I, I forgot he even had the title. Let alone, I, let alone held it for like over a hundred days. So, yeah, I kind of, I kind of, I've seen where he lost it, but like, it's like this weird memory hole um, that he had it. Mm-hmm. I and just, it was really kind of a footnote to him becoming the WWE champion at the time. I think too. It was. It was really just the the short stepping stone to getting the the heavyweight title wasn't it yeah like, so 
and I think Warrior Warrior was a pretty good IC champion because so with him you get the great moment of him beating Honky Tonk Man at SummerSlam, which is a great like I think that's a top if you did like a top I don't know hundred WWF moments of all time, you would have to put that in there somewhere. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm with that. His feud with Rick Rude during that time was great. We watched the match um, a couple years ago on this show where he won it back in a great match. And then he was icy champion for the Hogan stuff, which I actually think is pretty good. Yeah, um, I would give it to Warrior too because it seems like the the Warrior stuff is... Like, Warriors wasn't the stepping stone for, for Warrior to hold the Intercontinental title. It, was, it wasn't the stepping stone. It was the proving ground to prove that, that people would be interested and that he could hold his own and, uh, you know, that he'd stay over. And he, he totally did. Um, it, I, it's funny. I, I, I wasn't thinking about it, but last night I was watching... Um, and it just it popped up on my YouTube feed, but it was an interview that uh, Sean Oliver was doing with uh, Honky Tonk about that night. And Honky claims now you have to have a tremendous grain of salt for Honky claiming stuff, but he claims it was his idea to do the loss that quick. He said because if if we come out here and we have this big long match and he just beats me then you can't do anything with it. But if if he comes out the, he comes out there and he beats me real quick, then the only I can say it's like no, that wasn't who I was supposed to face, that's not who I meant. You know, that doesn't count like you can get some more play out of it and do more stuff with it. Um and I'm like, "You know what? Cool. Uh you know, that that makes sense. I'm fine with that." The uh uh even even if I am disinclined to believe Honky all that much, uh, I'm I'm fine with it. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it it's just it was an odd story to hear where he, he claims he took ownership of losing it that quickly. Okay, so. Um... Are we are we all agreeing Ultimate Warrior moves on here? Yeah, I personally like I I think that the Ultimate Warrior first winning it against Honky is fantastic. It's one of those things like I, I watched it again like years later uh, through videotape, but even then I, it was like I marked out. Even though like again I by the time I actually watched it, it was probably like five years later. Um, but it still was like such a memorable moment. Uh, and I felt like that was, that was when the IC title was kind of like at its peak. It really seemed like a legit, it was the true, like legit secondary title. Like you, if you had it, like you meant something. Whereas mm. today it's like, again, we like, we were like, who's the, who's the title holder now? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but and it, I feel like, mm-hmm. I feel like they've tried and failed to replicate that honky tonk man reign for like ages now yeah 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 we'll get to, i'll get to why i think that rain worked um in hindsight and they don't understand why it works now mm-hmm. 
We'll get to that when we talk about Honky Tonk Man, though. Because <laughs> we got to talk about Honky Tonk Man. Yeah. So up next, um, Razor Ramon slash Scott Hall versus Rick Rude. Um, so this one to me is this is a more difficult one because I think Rick Rude like really served a purpose, and I love Rick Rude. But, like, when you talk about IC champions, like, Razor Ramon's kind of the um, icon of, like, the early 90s. Like, if you think about IC champions and you think about eras, like, he definitely is one of those guys that hits your radar. And, um, obviously, he has, like, the signature moment of the the ladder match at WrestleMania 10. Mm-hmm. And um, the subsequent rematch... From SummerSlam '95. For me, Razor's definitely the winner here. Um, Just the the fact. How can I best put this? Just how important that belt was to the character of Razor Ramon speaks volumes to to you know what we're what we're looking at is you know that that meant so much to him and he fought like crazy to keep it or get it back that um you know it he puts that just puts so much import to it rude was really good don't get me wrong rude taking it off the warrior huge huge angle because you know at some point you had to you had to beat warrior uh, how are you going to do it, and how are you going to see how it plays out? But um, I, just as an IC champion, I, I got to give it to Razor. Uh, I too would give it to Razor. I felt he had more. He had a longer. Well, he had several reigns versus Rude's like one reign, but I felt it was more memorable. Uh, and he had like you did have those classic matches like the. I feel a lot of people would probably say like the ladder match against Michaels at WrestleMania 10 is another one of the that's up there with one of people's favorite WrestleMania matches. Uh, Still holds up, but in my opinion, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I don't I don't disbelieve you. I'm sure it, I'm sure it still does hold up. They they were that was like kind of that was probably at Razor's peak. I don't know about uh, Michaels probably had some better stuff later on, but. Yeah, but they. I think. I think why I, I think it would still hold up is they don't have. The ladder match was not developed enough to to, to have some of the annoying tropes like the painfully slow. Oh yeah. Like walks and they, you know they they did something clever with the end where like Michaels gets wrapped up in the ropes and that lets Razor. Get the belt. I I love that I don't love it. I should rephrase it, it. It angers me and frustrates me no end, but it also in abstract amuses me that, uh, they replicate how hard it is to climb a ladder in a wrestling ring. And like every wrestling game is just the sheer amount of panic button mashing you're trying to do in order to get that stupid guy up the rope to get that title belt down. And you're, you're just desperately hammering away at those keys in order to try and, and get him up there. And he just goes so slow. And here comes the other guy. And you're like, no, no, I, my thumbs are bleeding. 
but that trope just annoys me so much. It, I think more because it's leaned on so hard. Like it, they just, they just, they don't lean on it. They lay on top of it. They were, they were. I the one time I think they did a good job with it was um, the women's money in the bank, the Bailey one where they they had excuses for like the slow climb like the um the the slow climb that let Bailey win was because Mandy Rose was out and Sonya Deville was being a good friend so she was like carrying Mandy on her shoulders up the ladder which like was a good way to prevent pre- present logic to why she was slowly climbing because she had someone on her back Okay, yes, I, I absolutely agree with that. I remember that now, and I thought that's that is a fantastic way of doing that. Or even like the one at Mania that Zack Ryder won for the IC belt, where Miz was just like kind of like posing, and then Zack Ryder just chucked him off the side. See, but I none of those good... are none of those are the slow climb. No, that's but that's I was, different stuff. But I was watching, I was watching the match where Christian won the world title for the first time. And that one was criminal in how tropey it was with the slow climbs and like Alberto Del Rio is like setting the ladder up and he's taking forever because he needs edge to show up in like the Jeep and all that stuff. Like it, that one is like horrible for the, for that stuff. But you know, the funny thing is I don't feel like, like when the Dudleys and the Hardys and ENC were doing that stuff, that it had the slow climbs as much either. Or probably it, not. Yeah, yeah go sorry. ahead. No, you go ahead, Matt. I, I've uh, talked well, so less as much. I would say it's probably not. They were just more about, you know, chucking each other off ladders to fall like 20 feet into a table through a table outside. Yeah. Giving each other CTE and shortening their careers <laughs> horribly. Yeah. Um, I was going to say that it, the other thing about the the TLC matches and that sort of stuff is that you had, um, instead of it, it being the, the slow climb for stuff like that, the fact that you had at least three teams in it meant that you were able to rotate in who was doing what. So it wasn't always just the one guy is dragging because he's waiting for the other guy. It's like, well, I'm making my way up. Somebody's going to notice and do something and cut this off uh, before I get there, which is what needs to happen. You know what? Cool. Not a problem. Um, I, I like if you want to have something impede you from climbing the ladder, then have something actually impede you. Don't just make it like, you know, you forget how your legs work. You know, the, the last money in the bank... Otis sets up the ladder and goes to climb it and steps on it, and the, the, the rung breaks off. You know what? Cool. I'm down with that. But, um... It, it's... Have you ever so seen bad. that Lucha match with L.A. Park where, like, they accidentally break all the ladders and they can't actually get it down because all the ladders are broken <laughs> and they're, like, trying to stack the ladders and, like, use the ladder to hold the other ladder up so a guy could, like, try and climb up and win? No. I am not. I wasn't even aware oh, of this. Oh, it's hilarious. I haven't seen it in years. I bet I couldn't find it, but I'll see if I can find it. Okay. For you guys off air. <laughs> so, uh, well, we've all been unanimous on these so far. I'm sure we'll screw that up soon. I think I think we might get through the first round as unanimous as other than one. 
But um, so we'll move on. All right. So this actually is a tough one, and I feel like I kind of screwed Tito with this one, but uh, Mr. Perfect versus Tito Santana. Uh, I this is this is just a case of, for me. It's, Mr. Perfect was Kurt Hennig never got that that big world title run, and the reason that people talk about how criminal it is is because of how good of an Intercontinental Champion he was. So, you know, for me, this is, for me, I'm going with, with Mr. Perfect. I'm going to agree with that. And um, I feel like this is, um, I've seen some of Tito's reign, but I, I, I just have, there's a greater familiarity I have with Mr. Perfect. So that's why I'm going to pick him. Uh, I will follow that reasoning as well. Uh, Mr. Perfect was, again, it, it, I feel so weird because I feel like all of my stories are like, oh yeah, I loved, I loved his reign. When in reality, like this is just stuff I saw like on tape, like after the fact. But even so, like it still made a connection to me. Uh, and I, I e- even as a kid, I recognized how good he was. I feel like his his um, icy title matches were all over like the Coliseum videos. They they were. So I did actually get to see a bunch of them. Um, whereas I the- I can't say that I saw much of Tito's reign. So it is it's a slightly unfair thing. Uh, yeah. And Tito, I, I think you talked about it, Brad, but I, I've i seen some of Tito because I, I saw some of that you know, late 80s, early 90s, WWF, WWE, but I haven't seen a lot of Tito stuff. So I understand he's, he's a much better worker than I think people give him credit for, but I just haven't seen enough to really gauge that. Would I, I, um, I just got a bunch of Houston stuff, and um, there's... Um... He's actually prominently featured in that stuff. Like, I think I have a AWA World Title match with him versus Nick Bockwinkle. I'm really excited to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've liked I've liked what I've seen of Tito. But I, I think I think the other problem with gauging how good a worker is is if um, if your guide to them is like 80s and early 90s WWF um, you're probably not seeing like the best of what they have to offer it seems to me and you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong but it seems to me that a lot of what you saw Tito in for that that phrase that exactly what you were just talking about the time period where um you know that 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 WWF stretch. It seemed like that he was slotted into a lot of, um, and this is going to sound like it's doing a disservice, but it's it's a big sign of trust to do it. But slotting him into a lot of mid card stuff where there's not a lot of time, but you still need to have something good to keep everybody's attention, or or tagging. So he's good enough to do that, but. Just didn't get to see him do a whole lot more than that on WWF TV. He he was like a gatekeeper for a long time, especially in like the mid '80s. Like, if that new heel was coming in, like their first big test was um, Tito. Okay. And then if if they beat him, you knew they were moving up and they're probably going to challenge for the title. But if they lost to him, you knew like they weren't going to go anywhere. <laughs> Stick a fork in him; he's done. And and usually. Because usually how, like, before Vince really took over, so how, how it kind of worked in the 70s and the early 80s is you came in, you kind of climbed up for a couple months, and you beat, like, you beat, like, your 
your tiered faces going up and you challenge for the title and then you'd lose to Bruno or Backlund or whatever because you know it was a face territory so you're a heel so you're going to be in and out in six months and not win anything and then you'd lose to Backlund in your series and then you would go down and you would lose to all those guys you beat as you're going up on your way out and that worked because you know um, the guys got their heat back and you got built up by him, and then you gave it back on the way out, and you're gone. That makes sense. On to the next guy. Because really how, how the 70s, and you saw it into the late 80s, but the the heels were superfluous for the most part. Like, your, um, especially in the 70s, your, your main antagonists were Lou Albano, um, the Grand Wizard, and then Freddie Blassie. The managers. Yeah, the managers were the the main antagonist, and then you had their revolving door of clients that were challenging for whatever at the time. So the the conflict was not champion versus challenger. It was champion versus this manager who just hates the champion so much he's trying to find people, headhunt people to take him down. Right. Like, if you look at Memphis while Jimmy Hart was big, like, Jimmy Hart was the antagonist... And then his guys could, you know, come and go. I think in the territory days, that actually would work perfectly. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I don't. I kind of doubt how that would work nowadays, but there's nowhere for the heels to go. Yeah. I think AEW, since they're a little more open door, could pull it off. Mm-hmm. But they would need like a signature manager, which I don't think they really have. Like I think, I think Jake and Tully are good at what they do, but they cannot pull that role off. Uh, yeah, I do give AEW credit for uh, essentially bringing or featuring managers because you have you have Jake with uh, with Lance Hoyt, you have Tully with Sean Spears, and I guess potentially. FTR. I feel like they're. St- I feel like in a weird way they they're trying to build towards like a new four horsemen. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Although I don't know who who the flair is going to be of that. Yeah, I don't know. You, and you, then you have uh, you would think you potentially like Cody. Cody. Yeah, you would think you think maybe Cody would be the the heel if they turn him heel, but I could see it maybe being someone like Omega. I don't know. Or Adam Page. Uh. Could be Adam Page, although I don't. I think they're gonna do the reverse. I don't. I think Page is gonna remain face, and Omega's gonna go heel. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. They could do Ricky Starks, honestly, but he's kind of. Um, well, that's who's again, he with that, well, Ricky Starks. Ricky Starks again. That's another manager. You have Ricky Starks and Brian Cage with Taz. Oh, that's right. And then you even have Vicky Guerrero managing uh, neither Rose. So I, I do like that they're they're kind of incorporating that because I feel like that's that's kind of died. You know, Taz has been a really good manager. I, I've been shocked by how good he's been. He has been really good. He he because like I would never have mm-hmm. expected him to pull that off at all. Like I didn't think he was mm-hmm. was capable of that. And I think he's been their best manager. Uh, I would agree. I, I don't. I I'm gonna be honest with you. It doesn't surprise me. I always, I was always kind of, I was always a, well, post ECW, I was a fan of Taz, and I wanted to see 
you know, more of that stuff until I guess he finally got too hurt. He couldn't keep doing in-ring stuff. And my, I, I don't dislike him. My problem with him is, um, especially living through the ECW years on the internet, he was criminally overrated. Like he's like Taz is, Taz is not a great worker. Like people would try and sell him as he is. I'd give him, I'd call him a limited, but above average worker. So I, I just think like he gets, he gets, he gets overrated a lot because people fell for um, Paul's smoke and mirrors that worked really well for him. Like, um, oh, I think they were like amazing for him during that oh, time. Yeah. yeah, and I think oh, he like, seemed like such a badass in ECW, and then, then he went to the WWE, and it's like, oh, this guy's actually like five foot six, and yeah. and like small compared to literally everyone else. Well, and that doesn't then, mean he can't go, but it sure that's hurt true. his aura. It, the mystique kind of like went away a bit. And they screwed him. They they had they had like a two second window where they could have made him, and they screwed it up. Mm-hmm. Well, and cause... they did an interview with Vince where he even said he didn't even know why he had him lose that match to Triple H. What I'm talking about is there is a moment in 2000 where. They let him work a one night ECW thing where he won the ECW title, and then he came out on Raw or SmackDown as the ECW champion and wrestled Triple H and lost. Mm-hmm. And there was a brief window in that match where they had it with him for like five seconds. And if he would have won, they would have made a star out of him, but they didn't. Well, no, and because like they totally botched it. Yeah. yeah, because you know Vince Vince can't have anything over a, a wwe product well actually they, they did an interview with him on like a special or something about that and he was like he was like you know i don't even remember why i had him lose that match but i'm sure like it, there was a good reason for it so even vince i think kind of was like why did i do that because he's arrogant like he he doesn't again even though he he essentially you know won quote unquote won all of those wars, like he just he wasn't satisfied. I mean, we could we could do an entire episode just talking about what what a failure the whole invasion oh. angle oh, was, yeah. and how big it could have been, and what how lackluster it was purely because Vince didn't want to one spend the money to get the real stars of WCW when it folded, and two how he just wasn't willing to put you know other companies over. When in the short term, that's what actually would have made the storyline very profitable and successful. Yeah. I mean, he literally, he literally had the example of the NWO because they kicked the shit out of him, and he lost he lost the ratings for like weeks and weeks and weeks to the NWO. You literally had the blueprint in front of you, and he just would not do it. So, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm going to so. modify a phrase that I heard someone else use. Mm-hmm. But Vince McMahon is the kind of guy that would rather make a quarter his way than make ten bucks somebody else's way. Yeah, and and I want to say I don't. Um, when I said Paul's smoke and mirrors, I don't mean that as an insult. Like that's actually one of the things um, Heyman was really good at was was recognizing the strengths and weaknesses of his guys, and um, like nine one one, like that would have never worked in any other promotion because they would have had him wrestle. That's true. Hey, that was um, so many people referred to him as the mad scientist for that reason is that he was he was able to uh, 
build around around your strengths up until the point when I I don't think it was feasible anymore. Like the the just incredible era of ECW champion. That, I'm sorry, that just that didn't work. I think anymore. I think the problem there was just incredible was Paul being high on his own farts and not realizing like he there was no there was no covering for the faults of just incredible. That that's what I mean is that you're you're at a point where it it just it's like look that's not working. I, I think it was kind of it's two things. One, he believed that he could do it without giving being critical enough of himself. And two, the only other option he had was to go back to Dreamer Raven. Uh, no, I disagree with that because looking at it in hindsight, like with some years behind me, and like seeing some of the matches. Why didn't they put it on Tajiri? He he was over, and he was like the best worker on the roster. Like they could have made it work. He had he had James Mitchell managing him. Then your recollection is better than mine on this, so I will defer. But I mean, that's who that's who I think they could have done. Or even I mean, Rhino wasn't quite ready, but like I think Tajiri was right there, and they could have. They could have used him, and I think he would have worked a little better because at least he was a good worker. That's fair. That's fair. Okay, so up next, um, oh, we're moving Mr. Perfect on, right? Because I think we all said we didn't know that rain better. Okay. So up next, um, this is actually a tough one because I don't know where I'm going to go on it, but Shawn Michaels versus Jeff Jarrett. I feel like I I'm gonna go with Michaels just because I think his I think his reigns were memorable. He had good matches, but I kind of feel bad moving him along against because I feel like I feel Jarrett is 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 very underrated. Um, I feel like there is a point where um, Shawn Michaels' best match of his career for a long time was with Jeff Jarrett, and it was because mm-hmm. Jeff Jarrett made him work like a Memphis match. That's fair. Jeff Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett doesn't really get enough love. I think people, maybe people are more annoyed by like his his personality. But Jarrett was a fantastic worker. Oh, he was, and and um, I saw something from like I think World Class, mm-hmm. and it was like '88, and I'm like, oh, how long had Jarrett been working? Because he looks really good here, and he had been wrestling like six months. Yeah. Like, holy shit. Like he was like I think I've seen like stuff like early in his career and he was like insta good. Like he came out of like he came out mm-hmm. like just got it. I think where he gets hate though is um some bad gimmicks, but I think um he's not flashy. Yeah. True. And I think that hurts him. Yeah. But he's a he's a solid worker. He, he consistently had good matches, and I think we've talked about this before. But he got hate. He got a lot of hate for for putting the title on himself in uh, in TNA. But he, I, you can't. I don't feel like he's not like a Triple H sort where he was just dominating. Like I feel like if you look back, he he had the title because it was the right thing to do at the time. And then when you had someone. Who was you could they were trying to build around, or who was a better champion? Like he dropped it, and then that was it. Like he didn't. Like once Sting beat him at Bound for Glory, like he never was the champion again. Yeah. And Triple H was still winning the title up until 
was it four years ago now? Yeah, again, the first Mania I went to, WrestleMania 32, the main event was, you know, he had the title and he fought Roman Reigns. And it's like, you have no business. You're like 55 or 45, however old he is and the, at that the time. Only reason, the only reason I think that's even slowed down as much as it has is because he tore his peck up in that Australian show Yeah. a couple years ago. Yeah, and then, like age finally said, "Hey, you're um, too old." The I'm actually I'm actually gonna go against the grain of you, Matt. I I'm gonna mm-hmm. say Shawn Michaels is probably a better IC champion, but I'm gonna give Jeff Jarrett a pity a pity vote because mm-hmm. I think he um he doesn't get the credit he deserves as a worker. Uh, I was here's what I just on the topic of Jarrett hate is I think part of what. Part of what I know soured me on Jarrett was his his tenure at the top of the card in WCW, which to me was just completely lackluster and made me turn the channel. I was just so not into it. I and think anyone would have failed in that spot, though. Jarrett seemed especially disengaging to me. I'm not going to argue. It, you, you would have to be really really special to have succeeded because that's a time when their booking didn't make sense in the same show like there was there was one where um like sid came out and attacked somebody and then uh no it was nash and rick steiner they were fighting early on at the show and then at the end of the show rick steiner saves nash like they're all buddy buddy and no one had a good answer and that's that was also the era, like where if you were watching the TV every week, like you would, you would like the title would be on someone else, and you wouldn't even remember why. Yeah. Now, so I think it, it just seemed to me that Jarrett was especially bad in that time. Someone else may have been able to salvage something out of it, but Jarrett was—he had X-Pac heat for me in that time period. The other reason that I'm going to go against him is. It seems to me, as far as my recollection is, a lot of Jarrett's intercontinental reigns, what, he had like four? Is that what uh, you said? Six. Um, six. If because he had, he, had four, he had four in the era we're talking about, and then they kind of went back to him in the Attitude Era. Yes. I was going to say, in the Attitude Era is when he had um, he had more... Uh, you know, he that's when he had more of his reigns. So, uh, you know, am I going to am I going to hold that against him? No, but I am going to say that I don't feel like since we're not taking that into an account into account for our, our time frame parameters, I can't credit those to him. Um, uh, underrated t- underrated tag team, though, is Owen Hart and Jeff Jarrett. Oh, yes. yes. Yes, uh, I agree with that. It makes me sad that they that Owen didn't like the name that someone finally came up with, Canadian Country for them. <laughs> I was like, yeah. finally, that's of everything else that could have come up, everything that was pitched, that was like the best answer anybody had for Jeff Jarrett. I like not having a name. Well, they they had a challenge of of coming up with a name like. Apparently it was bad enough that they put the, put it out on their website to see what people could come up with, and that was the best that came up. So you know, 
Sure. And them not having a name. If you want to go that way, that's fine. But apparently they were real big on them having a name. Fine, let's have them a name. But anyway, that's that's beside the point. Um, yeah, I, I just, just named them OJ, like ONJ or something. I, I I think I think the there was still enough stink on that particular letter combination at the time that they didn't want to. Ah, uh, fair enough. Uh, okay, so but yeah, going... I'm giving it to um, I'm going to give this one to Shawn Michaels. Okay, so up next um, we have Bret Hart versus Kerry Von Eric. You know, I was actually surprised that Bret Hart only had this for 290 days because it felt like his reigns were like longer, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It just felt like he was like a big presence on the ITC title scene for longer than he was. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. I would say I would say the match he beats Perfect for is was probably one of the better WWF title like matches for a long time like really great match especially when you consider how Perfect was pretty much almost crippled from his back injury at the time. Oh, that's a good point. And still sold like nobody's but you would have never known. Yeah. Yeah. Um that's actually isn't part of the reason he ended up leaving the WWF is they they screwed up his um, insurance payments from Lloyd's of London. Uh, maybe that sounds right. But I'm I, sure. I think it had something to do with it, but I can't. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna look that up real quick. Okay. So I would say I would say if you were to rank IC champions for me. Um, Randy Savage would be the best one, but Bret Hart might be like number two, maybe number three on my list of all timers. Sorry, I'm, I'm I'm looking for the answer right now. Because I know there was um there was a Coliseum Home video that just had some random title defenses of his, and he had like some match with Skinner. That was like better than it had any right to be. Oh, I just, um, I feel like I saw that match. Yeah, because there was one that was just like, hey, like we're gonna do like just three Bret Hart icy title defenses for like the last forty minutes of this, and I think one was like a Skinner match. And I was like, wow, this is really good for like something that shouldn't even like be more than two minutes. <laughs> And I liked his feud with Piper. I thought, um, I thought that was really good. Like the subtle heel work Pipe, uh, Piper did in that, like WrestleMania Eight, like for their starting promo was really good. Yeah, you, you've mentioned that one before. Um, the subtle digs that he put in on like Hart's family and stuff. Yeah, that yeah. one's really good. Uh, so I'm, I'm gonna, and like Kerry Von Erich, I. I like Kerry Von Erich, and um, some of his stuff in World Class in, like, the 80s was good, but, like, he wasn't very good. Well, I think I think to speak to what I think people underrate about Kerry Von Erich is he was still a pretty solid worker for, like, the last part of his career, and, like, think about he was doing this with no foot. That's a, That's an amazing thing to me. Like, it blows my mind sometimes. You don't really appreciate it. And then you, like, think about it. And you're like, wow, like, he he had to, like, probably learn to do this all over again. And he was still, like, 
pretty decent at it. Like, uh. I don't know. Shad, what do you think about that from like being a worker's perspective that that Carrie actually lost a foot and was still like pretty solid as a as a wrestler. I mean, it's impressive. I don't um I don't have context on how hard that rehab would be. So, it's kind of hard for me to say. It, it I mean, it was 1980s and he lost a foot, so I can't imagine it wasn't it was good. Because if, uh, if you really, um, if you listen to anything medical related, usually the cutoff point where they consider like medicine to have really improved was not the 80s. It was like about 91 or so is where they say like medicine really like jumped forward in a huge way. So like, um, so you can pretty much say his rehab was probably about caveman standards by what it would be today. Well, it's. We're in this spot where it, okay, just, I'm, I'm going to theory craft on this. And if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. Um, but if we're in this place where, uh, we've got, he's going from, he lost his foot and he had a prosthetic and it provided the prosthetic was fit correctly. And given what he was doing, why wouldn't you have one that did fit correctly? Then combining that with, I guess, phantom limb stuff, I could see how he he may not lose as much as you might think. Um, you know, God rest him. I miss my father-in-law, you know, all the time. Uh, did have a prosthetic. You'd never know it by looking at him. Um, he, he had a prosthetic leg. He went, he went in one time to get his tag renewed, and the woman at the counter told him she's like no i'm not i'm not renewing a handicap tag for you and he goes can you tell me why not and she said you're obviously not handicapped so he leans down he unhooks it and he slams it on the counter he says how about now how's that look to you but you would never know by seeing him out and about that's that's how natural it was for him so like, he may not have lost as much of a step as um as you might think so uh i don't know uh i that's a long way for me to say I don't know. It's I'd have to look, I'm looking at the timeline of his matches. So he he wrestled It looks like he missed about 4 months. Wow. That's no, it. That's a lie. That's a lie. Hold on. I was going to say No, he went from sorry, I misread it. He went from um June of 1986 he came back briefly in February of 1987, and I think that's where he really screwed his foot up and like had to get it amputated. Then he came back in October of 87. So he wrestled two matches from June of 1986 to October of 1987. Hmm. If you watch his matches with a critical eye, you'll notice that he uses the ropes a lot to keep his balance okay well like that's his like that's his like safety line but um so he missed what what is that he missed about a year and a half i would other than that that sounds matches. reasonable to me but uh so yeah um 
for for this, I'm I'm giving it to Hart. Um, the Von Erichs kind of have a black cloud over my, you know, over the hair, over their head whenever I watch them. The same way, uh, you know, Voldemort does and that sort of stuff. So it's, it's you know, um, David, David, not as much because it seems like he had a. Um, uh, a freak medical incident and um carrie not as much it's really mike and chris that that bother me well it's it's just the cloud over the whole family that bothers me just having all that mike stuff's really bad because he like comes back after the septic shock syndrome and you can just tell he's not the same person anymore well in fritz you throw fritz oh fritz is a piece of fritz is a uh, if you listen to the Laps fan thing, the one thing that you'll come away from that is like Fritz is just a piece of shit. <laughs> like, like Gary Hart in um his book was saying that like Fritz was only giving them like when they were starting out like two fifty a week, and like Gary kept trying to up their pay because they were the ones drawing it, and Fritz wouldn't do it, and he just said that's just like a shitty thing to do to your kids, like fucking pay them what they're worth. Yeah. It's but you know do you know though um, I don't know if you know this but do you know they had another brother that died as an infant because of um uh was it a downed power line and he drowned like he got shocked what? and fell in like a puddle and drowned like when he was like six in like the sixties I know Matt probably knows what I'm talking about yeah I I do I did hear this yeah I don't know I don't if it was a downed power power line. I know he drowned, like, because of some weird, like, shock thing. Hold on, let me look. Um, you didn't know that, Shad? No, I didn't know anything about that one. Yeah, like, it, that That was, like, in the 60s. I don't know if, um, I don't know if the other, if the other, um, kids were alive there. Um, Jack Barton Jr., uh, September twenty first, nineteen fifty two to March seventh, nineteen fifty nine. Let me see if I can. <sighs> While you're looking that up, I'm just gonna go ahead and say um, that my my vote's going for Brett here. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm gonna go for Brett too. Yeah, <laughs> Carrie. The thing about this was basically like the. This was the only thing of note, really, that Kerry did in the WWE. And he only held the title for, like, about three months. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know. I, I, I liked him when I was a kid, seeing this stuff on uh, on tape, but he didn't... I was kind of stunned, like, much later to find out that he was, a, like, a big deal. Like, in Texas, mm-hmm. he even held, like, the, the world title. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he was a dude who, again, he wasn't. He he should have been a much bigger star than he than he was. But we I mean, we could do an entire like series of shows. Oh, we could on, we could talk for like a year on, on Von Eric. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> okay. That's a fraught, very fraught. Okay, so here here is the Wikipedia entry on the youngest. So Fritz von Eric's first son was born Jack Barton Atkinson Jr. on September twenty first, nineteen fifty two. He was accidentally shocked unconscious by an exposed wire and drowned in a puddle at the age of six in Niagara Falls, New York, on March 7th, 
That's horrific. It is. And, like, people, I don't, I don't, people are, like, it, it makes it worse, I think, um, because of um, just the tragedy that was, the unnecessary tragedy of the other ones. Yeah, you put all the pieces together, and for me, it's, I'm just, I'm like, uh, I, I, I am uncomfortable watching them because of all of those pieces together. It's just kind of like, it just makes me squirm. Yeah, it's just, it's horrible. And like, um, if, if you guys want to know more about Carrie, and this is anyone listening, I recommend the crime and sport episode on him that kind of goes through some of his problems with the law, like him getting arrested in the airport with like the, just the pounds upon pounds of pills and marijuana that like they tried to say on world-class TV, like the Freebirds planted on him. I don't know. I, have you guys heard much about that or no. is that new to you? No, no not it's kinda, really. It's comparable. Have you ever heard like how much like crap, like Steve Williams got arrested in like the airport in Japan the one time? Like, it's kind of like that. Oh, I'll, I'll have to look these up. Um, so, you know, he had some he had some brief run-ins with the law, and then, you know, I think he just had, you know, he, what did he do? He, like, went off, like, somewhere on their property and, like, shot himself because, you know, I mean, I, you know, like, I don't, I don't know how someone, like, that went through what he did wouldn't kill themselves, honestly. Well, given what he was getting ready to go through, I think, because... Oh, yeah, he was getting arrested for something, I think. Yeah, he, well... He was going to prison, and to go from being regarded as a demigod to, nope, you're going to prison, can, you know, that's got to be such bad mental whiplash, combined with, I'm sure there was other problems going on, too. And, you know, like, I mean, like, in that era, like, he probably had CTE, like, I know Kevin um, had to pretty much retire from full-time wrestling because he was having concussion issues um like i said just everything that goes into play with these guys it's it's just it's tough yeah i will say the one thing though about about kevin von eric i mean i he's the uncooperative and dangerous in the ring but um i do know I do know that if you like, if he was getting too rough with you and you stiffed him back, like he he accepted that as part of the give and take. Because <laughs> I know I know he had really good matches with Chris Adams because Chris Adams was like, "Oh fuck you," and just like <laughs> gave it back to him. <laughs> and then Kevin was like, "Was like, okay, like let's do this." Fair enough. Um, <laughs> just your phrasing. I know he was unstable and dangerous in the ring, but it's like, what's going to follow that up? I guess, I guess to me, like as someone that's not a worker and I know I've mentioned this to you before, Shad, and you have like a different opinion. I, I'm fine with guys like Vader. If they're going to beat the shit out of someone, as long as, as long as they're willing to take what they're giving. Like if you're going to, if you're going to potato someone, but like, like I'm fine if like, if if they do, if they do it right back to you and you're cool with that, it's when you do it to someone and then you're like, you want to cry about it if someone if someone gets rough back with you. You mean low key? 
Yes. Prick. Um, <laughs> we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about the Intercontinental title. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've we've hashed that out a few times before. So, or like you know, a certain um, other person that won their first round matchup that got beaten up by how many Marines in a parking lot <laughs> is it now? Is it up to fifty yet? Or uh, hang like on, let me 20s? check the counter. Let's go up to the big board. Ding, we're up to fifty-three. Okay, awesome. Wait, hang on, let me check on something. Hey, honey, how many Marines are in a battalion? <laughs> okay, well, we're we're gonna say most of a battalion at this point. Wasn't Bulldog involved in that? Supposedly. Um, but, well, from what I uh, from what I understand, he. He was there, but was apparently in. Uh, he wasn't. Uh, he wasn't fit to, to step in. He was. Uh, oh. He was. He was doing a role. He was. He was being bulldog, and uh, I was in some sort of state of chemical incapacitation. In, okay, you said that, and now in my head, I'm just imagining that he's over, like hunkered in the corner over a payphone. Mister Hitman, I've been smoking crack. And the Shawn Michaels is getting his ass kicked. I thought, I thought, um, I thought the Michaels beatdown kind of was like how you, um, if you, if you're with, like hiking with your friend and a bear attacks you, that he was. It's not. He didn't have to be faster than the Marines. He just had to be faster than his friends, and he was not. <laughs> it, I, my understanding is that it was, it was Sean's mouth that got him in trouble, and uh, Sean's mouth got him in trouble and my joke is actually too far because a battalion is 300 so we're just going to call it a company which is between 80 and 250 we, we have to we have to we have we need another like decade to get there now in reality <laughs> i think i think um i think it was like three yeah that's the this before the stories got out of hand um i've heard that it was it was three guys and and sean let his mouth fly and these three guys just um, just unloaded on him. And I think a similar thing happened with Ming at some point, except Ming beat the shit out of him. <laughs> except Ming, Ming won. I'm, you would think that if anybody had a story about Ming losing a fight somewhere, they would have told it. But nobody, nobody has come forward with those stories. You know, I don't understand that because people tell the stories. They're like, you know, he was just a chill guy, but people would screw with him all the time. It, it, Ming seemed to not be a believer in proportionate response. If, if you screw with him, it seems like that he would come back at you hard enough that you never wanted to screw with anyone ever again in your life. So it, it's and it's weird it's weird to say that because this involves like he pins a guy to a wall and reaches in his mouth and pulls a tooth out kind of stuff. Uh, I think he bit someone's nose off. That's, that's another story I've heard that just, I was just going with the tooth thing as an example for how slow and excruciating that would be. But there's um, like, I think I listened to a compilation once of people talking about Ming and bar fights. And um, yeah, yeah. My favorite, my favorite's Jake, the snake. He goes, he goes, okay, me and he called him Haku, but me and Haku, if I'm in a tank and I have a pistol and it's it's me in the tank with a gun and Haku's over there, 
I'm going to jump out of the tank and shoot myself because I don't want to take the chance. I'm only going to hurt him and piss him off. So, I, yeah, yeah. Shawn Michaels is not Ming whenever it comes to to getting in getting into a brawl. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. Isn't um was it Dick Slater was the other one you didn't really want to screw with? Um, a lot of those old guys you didn't want to screw with. I know Harley, like, even in his 70s. Do you remember that story where Harley had to cancel that convention appearance, like, when he was, like, 70? And they found out, like, what happened was he he fell and broke his hip, and he was, like, driving to, like, the convention. He was, like, halfway there, and he's just like, this hurts too much. He went to the hospital, and he had broken his hip. No. He's a tough old bastard. Yeah, man. Oh, man. Or, like, that shit, like, if you watch videos of, like, Danny Hodge at, like, 80, like, two, like, breaking apples with his yeah, hands, and just you're just, like... crushing oh, apples God. with his hands. Yeah. There's... And, and the reason they kept the belt on Thez so long is if you tried to do anything with it, Thez was going to feed you your own foot. Like... Yeah. And there's... The, there's a lot of older guys. There's just so many stories about how tough they were, but... Or even... Even, um... We talked about it... We talked about in a very early episode of this, probably within like the first ten episodes. But I mean, remember, Ali kind of like had his career ruined by Anoki kicking him in the leg. Yeah. In their in their match. Yeah. That's actually true. Yeah. Yeah. Like he almost lost the leg, I think, because yeah. he had like he had he like had crushed veins or something. Yeah. He, he? he was throwing blood clots. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because Anoki just kicked the crap out of him. Because we watched, I think Matt and I watched that and we were talking about it because Anoki was just like turtling and he was just like kicking the shit out of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, let's go back to the, the title. Okay, so we have one last, we have one last matchup for this. Um, I think this one's probably going to be unanimous and I do want to talk about this one a bit. So we have Honky Tonk Man versus Rowdy Roddy Piper for our final first round matchup. So, I want to talk about this because um, they've tried to replicate the Honky Tonk Man thing forever, mm-hmm. and it never works. I feel like they don't understand why Honky Tonk Man worked. So one, um, I don't think anyone quite has the Honky Tonk Man's like charisma or the pairing with Jimmy Hart. Like Jimmy Hart's annoying, and the Honky Tonk Man's annoying. <laughs> When you when you put them together, um, they're very annoying, and they play off each other very well in a very annoying way mm-hmm. that makes you want to kill them. Mm-hmm. But also, I think what they don't understand is, um, like I wouldn't call Honky Tonk Man like a particularly great worker. Like he's done some stuff that's been good. Like he's in the first like Tupelo concession stand brawl that's amazing. Yeah, um, that interview I was watching, Honky Tonks, he, he said in that, he said, I learned how to wrestle, but I'm not a wrestler. I'm an entertainer. I did stuff that was entertaining. I didn't wrestle. So, Which, actually, there's there's a hilarious, I think it's the second one that happened a couple years later, where they didn't smarten up the concession stand people, so they're doing this, and like the concession, one of the concession stand owners is like, beating Tojo Yamamoto with a broom trying to like defend her concession stand because she didn't know what was going on. Oh gosh. That's such a weird place to be. 
so he's not so like he's not a great worker and if you watch the tv from the time because he debuts as a face like legitimately even gets like the hulk hogan seal of approval mm-hmm. and the fans like turned on him like instantaneously <laughs> like they even did like a fan vote yeah like that they that they did on tv for a while and like the fans didn't like him so he turned heel so like he had this distinct like um Fans didn't like him and didn't feel like he was a good wrestler, and then they put the belt on him. So like they, they they made this organic like he didn't feel worthy of the title, which pissed people off. Mm-hmm. And then he's annoying on top of that with Jimmy Hart, who's annoying. And then he just kept keeping the title through you know cheap methods. Like there is a lot of like there is a lot of things especially like unique to him and like how he worked as a you know he worked as a character that made it work that i don't think they've ever been able to replicate because they don't understand like kind of the organic parts of his character or that reign that made it memorable okay because like he was he was like he was bad in a way that made that upset you that you wanted to see him get his ass kicked because why does this loser have the belt? Like he, he pulled it off in such a way that made people want to pay money to see him get his ass beat. He was a chicken heel, but he kept getting away with it for what you more than a year, right? Uh, hold on, let me see where he is. Four hundred and fifty-four days. I think he has still has the longest um, consecutive. Yeah, consecutive one. Because I, 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 someone fantasy booked, I thought it would have been a great angle, like in the, around 2008, of doing, of having someone, it might have even been Santino at the time, mm-hmm. like hold the IC title, and then on day 453, having the honky tonk man interfere and cost him the belt on day 453 to um, <laughs> keep his, like, longest consecutive reign going. Yeah. Which I actually think. I don't, I don't, you'd have to figure out what to do with that, the, those days going into that, but I thought that would have actually been brilliant if you could have pulled it off. That would have been, that would have been a lot of fun. That would have been a lot of fun. I think that was the reign where um, he beat Umaga for the IC belt. Mm, don't know. So anyway, yeah. So I feel like his reign is, like, good, and I think he was... I wouldn't say he was the best, like they like to claim, but um, his reign worked, but it's had the poor effect of them trying to, like, do it over and over again. I think Jericho's first um, world title reign really suffered from that. Mm. Oh, yeah. So, in this matchup, um, I, I, you're, we're comparing, first of all, Piper's really short reign to, um, Honky Tonk's really long reign. But here's the thing for me is that, that Piper, it was not defined by that reign. As, as a matter of fact, saying that Piper was the Intercontinental Champion, the WCW United States Heavyweight Champion, is an afterthought it's it's kind of a did you know that piper only held two like major national promotion titles 
It was like getting, it was like getting, it was like he worked for a company for 25 years and got like a watch for his anniversary present. <laughs> he got an icy title reign. Yeah. So, I, I, I like, I love Piper, mm-hmm. but it is not a, in terms of Intercontinental Champions, um, then this goes to, um, the, I've got to give it to Honky Tonk. Uh, I'm going to go again with Honky Tonk. I love Piper 2. I think I think his his the, his brain basically is characterized pretty much in the match that he lost the title uh to Bret Hart because that's a fantastic match. Um I like the I like his double turn in the match where he he turns heel for the match and then he turns face within the bounds of the match because he's just like, "Oh, I'm being kind of too much of a dick so i'm not gonna hit him with this um timekeeper's bell and mm-hmm. then he loses the match yeah uh, i i the inclination is i i, I like, since piper is so great you want to kind of give it to him but i think again we're we're trying to rank this in terms of what they kind of brought to the title or their reigns uh and so it's much like the Steamboat Valentine matchup. It's like even though you really love Steamboat and you can love Piper, like Honky did way more uh, for, with his title reign than 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 Roddy did. So I got to go yeah. with Honky. So that finishes off our first round. Uh, so we kind of went a little long with this because I think there was a lot to kind of more to digest with this. I think because of how specific it was and lots of tangents (laughs) yeah so what we're going to do is we're going to come back with a part two to finish this tournament off so our quarterfinals are randy savage versus greg valentine ultimate warrior versus razor ramon mr perfect versus Shawn michaels and bret hart versus the honky tonk man so we're going to come back next week and we're going to pick up from there and finish this tournament off all right so Everybody, what did you think about our first round picks on this um, for our Intercontinental title tournament? We would love to hear from you. Please hit us up on social media. This is Shad here with Matt and Brad. We've been in three quarters. You're in the fourth, and we will see you next time.